Hello and welcome to another episode of Part of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. I'm your host, Aaron Edwards, and joined by my co-host, the irrepressible one and only cabin-dwelling apologist, Andy Bannister. Cabin-dwelling. And I, I, well, I'm cold, mate, because there's a cold snap has hit, uh, has hit England. A cold snap. Uh, a cold, well, yeah. that's what the forecast is. It's a funny is. metaphor, isn't it? The cold snap. It is, isn't it? It's a funny. Well, I think it's the when things freeze, they snap. But it's this is not the season to be having a, a wooden garden office. So hence I'm sitting here <laughs> in, a, in a down jacket, almost yes. sort of a radiator. Yeah, listeners may remember when Andy first had this built and he put a video up on social media showing how brilliant and fast it was constructed. But I think that was in the beauty of beautiful summer of July, wasn't it? And, uh, it, it was, and actually, I must have knocked it with the, when you get the heater going. It's okay, and I'm sitting here in a down jacket, and it's actually, it's actually, it's lovely. But it's like, um, yes, I the number, the number of people who see this on screen when I zoom them and they say, "Are you in a sauna?" and I find myself now saying, "I wish I were <laughs> in a sauna." The Swedes yeah. have something right. This is like a sauna without the sauna. That's right. Yeah. One day you're just going to be on there without any clothes, with a, a towel around you, just sat there, and it'll just be like, right, you have just exactly. I think sort of you know. 53.4% of people who sit and work in garden offices end up freezing to death, apparently, or something. <laughs> well, indeed, yeah. But um, then, right. as we know, 17, 92% of all statistics are made up on the spot. That's especially when Andy Bannister states that. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah, and, you, and yes. you've, been in, um, you've been up north of the border, haven't you, recently? I have. So I have just come back from, um, from Body, Scotland, where would you believe it was warmer in Scotland uh, than it was... Uh, that it was down here. But yeah, I've been doing some stuff up there, doing some, uh, some speaking for, for Youth for Christ, who are quite a large Christian youth organisation, and, and a couple of other churches and stuff, and making sure my colleagues are behaving themselves in my, after my move. And, uh, and all, yes, absolutely. And also drinking, drinking large amounts of tea and, and eating unhealthy food, which is what I like to do when I go to Scotland. Oh, yes. Did you ever have, when you lived up there, did you have a, uh, the battered Mars bar, the classic Glaswegian delicacy? No, but in D- Dundee, where I uh, where I lived, we uh, we invented something. Our city contributed something to world cuisine. But so because knowing that Glasgow, I think it was, had invented the deep fried Mars bar, Dundee invented the deep fried mince pie yes. a few Christmases ago. So that That's was right. quite special. We yeah, had. I had in Aberdeen. I had a a deep fried pie. Yes. <laughs> like so, like a steak. So That's you've got the pie crust and then the meat inside, and then just a load of batter. Well, there is that thing, isn't there? In um, there's that thing in Aberdeen. I forget what it's called. Where they take it, basically take butter, isn't it? And they wrap it in breadcrumbs and fry it. I forget what that's called. And somebody told me about this. It's basically fried fat. Fried fat. So, um, it's right, yeah, pure. Oh, a buttery. Is that the one? Maybe it's that's the one. They don't take butter. It's like a kind of weird. A buttery is like a weird thing that sailors used to have on the North Sea. So it was an old yes. Aberdonian thing, and it was. It basically tastes like. You know when you've got a croissant that's kind of three days old and it's, yes. and it's just a bit hardened together? And if you're really hungry, if you're like a poor undergraduate student, which I was for many years, you would eat anything. And so like a, a croissant that's definitely past the several day that's like kind of closed in on itself a little bit. But yeah. it's that with, with salt, with saltiness added to it. So buttery is like a salty finished croissant, yes. very buttery as well. So it's kind of, so, you know, what could possibly go wrong? So if you're sailing on a so, ship, uh, they last a long time. What what percentage of Aberdonian students would would eat that in desperation then to, to well, clearly, ask I think, <laughs> There's a link coming here. You can see I'm the working on it. It's building up. It's like a tsunami on the on the horizon. A I tsunami of links on the, building on the up. North to, sea, a tsunami of batteries is going to turn into the segue for our link. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, I don't know the percentage, but what I do know is there is a, a, a lower percentage. Yes. Of Christians in this nation, not yes. north of the border, interestingly. So we did recently have a census, which is the topic of our episode, um, on which which people have been remarking upon in this country about the uh, differences in religious belief within <coughs> the UK. But I say the UK because it isn't the UK, is it, Andy? It was England no, well, and Wales. It's England and Wales because, yes, for people who live in this country uh, will be aware of this, but for listeners abroad, we often fail, I think, to quite figure out the bizarre constitutional arrangements here in the united kingdom so we are actually several nations we are england uh scotland and wales there's also northern ireland but that's a whole different ball of wax but there are definitely three nations england uh scotland and uh, and wales and so england and wales did their census uh, back in 2000 and 2021 was when it was actually collected and they did a great job they got i think 97 percent 
uh, return rate on the really on the census, which means the data is really good quality. Because if you're a gov- you know if you're a government making sort of big decisions about your nation and everything, you need to know what's going on within it. So you want a high return rate. The Scots, God bless them. Uh, most things that the Scottish government touch break or fail to work, uh, and so they managed to get. Wait for it, drum roll. They managed to get a seventy nine percent return rate, which is basically statistically useless. So they spent millions of pounds managing to get it up as high as 89%. Wow. And, and finally, and now there's lots of talk going on about what went wrong and why it was so awful and and can, is it even usable? I mean, some statisticians are saying that the data quality is, 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 is now pretty useless because part of the point of the census, apparently, I was reading, is you want to take a snapshot in time. So yeah. taking a census over a long period isn't helpful. You want to basically take a look at your nation you know, within within say within a tiny window as as possible, yeah. because then you can understand the trends. You know, ages, genders, you know, social class, all this health issues, and then you can plan. But if it's spread yeah. out, it doesn't work. But England yeah. and Wales did you return data, and one of the questions, of course, they ask every every time they do the census is the religion yeah. question. And um, this, I guess, is what we want to talk about a bit on this episode and some of the issues that spin off this, because. There was much comment on the fact that for the first time in a census of England and Wales, less than half the population, so 46.2% or 27.5 million people, uh, reported their religion as Christian. And that was a 13.1% decrease from the 2011 census when it was 59.3%. So there's been that. (laughs) Not to bring in data. Disagreement, but I heard it was a seventeen percent. Well, I am literally drop. reading as we speak off the Office for National Statistics website. Wow. I didn't memorize the statistics. Wow. statistics. I am looking on my other screen at ons.gov.uk and reading their um, their statistics. The most common, interesting, the thing they say the most common second response, and this got a lot of the humanists very excited, um, was that no religion was the second most common. Yes. response it, it, right. it jumped from 12 it jumped by 12 percentage points to 37.2 yeah, percent right. as a third of the population put put no religion uh yeah. down so what i felt what i found fascinating and i would love to get you know your 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 response was i was interested by some of this the, the, the press coverage because of course a lot of the more liberal leading media ran with you know almost gleeful stories of this and going you know uh, no longer a christian country and less than half the people uh, yada yada yada. The Guardian, one of the most left-leaning newspapers, right. you know, among the many things they did, they had a story looking at people who lost their faith, and it was a story of four or five different Christians who are no longer Christians. Yeah, I know. I found myself. I did find myself thinking they wouldn't dare do that with Islam. They wouldn't. Right. They wouldn't even dream of going. Let's run the story of four or five people who were once Muslims. Imagine who are no. Yeah. no can you imagine? Can you imagine it? And then the other thing I, I picked up on was a. Uh, Humanists UK, so our biggest secular society. Um, you'd have thought they'd be they'd be celebrating, but even they found something to grumble about because they think that number for no religion should be higher. So they've got this big article on the website banging on about the fact. Well, the moment you even ask the religion question, yeah. you know, you're leading people, and they're picking up on the fact. Well, hang on, this forty nine percent is still too high because if you query a lot of those people, it turns out they don't believe. The things that Christians are supposed to. But my favourite thing, Aaron, my absolute yeah. favourite, there was this line in their article where they uh, they said that separately, and yeah. I quote, separately, a poll commissioned by Humanists UK in 2019 showed that 29% of British adults hold all the fundamental values of humanists. So in other words, because people think like us in some way, yeah. yes. they're on our team. They should be on yeah. the secular team, not the, the Christian team. And boy, there's some so many things we could say about that. But what, what, what was your take when you when that when that story broke well, the other week? I mean, yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I was not surprised. I mean, like like you, I think obviously it's the figure's too high. <laughs> so it's like in terms of what the reality is. So you're always dealing with a, a weird mix of nominalism and uh, sort of pseudo cultural confessionism, with a, by which I mean people who confess that they're a Christian mm-hmm. by ticking a box, which is not the same as being a confessional Christian who, who stands up for what they believe and lives that way in their life and is willing to be a Christian when it really counts. But if you can tick a box in an anonymous sense, not anonymous, but uh, a sense that you're not then publicly posting, um, it's just, it doesn't really, it isn't meaningful data in the same way. What it does tell you, I think, is 
that in a way, though, though it's still too high, it's also interesting that it's not so low. So I know that it mm. seems crazy because the big headline is it's dropped over that 50% mark. So people can now more legitimately say Britain is not a Christian nation, which I guess is the kind of theme we're circling around here. Um, it still shows you the, the kind of willingness of people in 2021, at least, to still say that they were identified as Christian. I still think it's a very high number in the 40 yes. percentage of people who are just willing to identify with Christianity, especially given the attacks upon Christianity in, in our culture over the last 10 years, especially maybe even five years in particular, the way that the, the game has changed. So, of course, yeah, there have been some drop-offs. More people are functionally going to be non-religious. And so that I'm not surprised at all about no religion rising. I think I've said on a previous show, and I regularly talk about this in lectures, on about the rise of no religion in the census data in the UK, almost or in England, Wales, perhaps, almost always uh, maps um, with a decline, an almost exact decline of the kind of C of E number dropping. So I don't, I don't know whether this data captured denominations mm. in particular. Probably didn't. I don't know. But there was data from Humanist UK um, uh, five years ago, which talk, which which had the no religion rising at exactly the same rate that C of E affiliation was dropping. And, and whereas a lot of other denominations were staying roughly the same, because some are, are on a steady decline, yeah. but many were sort of free churches were kind of roughly the same. Um, so it's interesting that, yeah, that people who identify because they're British, because they're Anglican in some way, um, they're now they might even still identify broadly as a cultural Christian, but they don't they they, they don't go, they don't they don't really want to sort of identify with it anymore. So, um, in in terms of their their whole life, and so I think that's there's all sorts of interesting stuff that happens. It's good for headlines, and it's good for bringing this as a as a discussion but i don't think it's you know it shouldn't be troubling to the church more than the problem already was there but there's already a problem that we're not we're not a substantively uh, christian presence in our nation anymore there was one person who a kind of popular cultural journalist i think who talked about saying the census should have offered an option for culturally christian so someone who yes um basically in the way that we've actually mentioned did we even say that i think richard dawkins even might have ticked culturally christian because he likes the church of england um so that there's something about the fact that they liked that that it's part of the english fabric of the english nation or something yeah heritage um and they don't really want to be have forced into a position where they're making a religious claim and that just shows you how how ludicrous it's become in the sense of the the acceptance culturally of the private public distinction well, exactly. No, I think there's there's that. I think the the other thing, Aaron, that observation uh, strikes strikes me as interesting is that is that bringing back together what our friends at Humanist UK mm. were saying. I think one of the confusions on both sides uh, of that, with the cultural Christian piece and the, and the humanist camp jumping up and down and making lots of noise, is of course the question is okay. Well, if we were to tease out what culturally Christian means. Mm. raising that gets the issue of okay these so-called humanist values these values that humanist uk want to go well if people share them they're, they're part of our tribe mm. where do those ideas come from and as we've talked lots about on this show there's been good work really good work done on that i mean tom holland is the one that everyone talks about a lot uh, but he's not alone niall ferguson uh, would be another historian who i think is beginning to write into this this uh this area we mentioned louise perry uh glenn scrivener on the christian side but his his book popularizing Tom Holland's work, his book, The Air We Breathe, you know, I think there's a lot of recognition among historians of culture that actually the values that we, the people who would be ticking that no religion box that they they aspire to, you know, the values of, you know, sort of sort of freedom of choice, uh, freedom of free, free, freedom of worship, freedom of, of opinion yeah. and speech, um, the idea that human value has dignity, the idea that when someone stands up and, you know, and self-identifies in a particular way, you know, sexually or in terms of their gender, we take that seriously. Those are actually profoundly christian values because they're predicated on the idea that the human human life actually matters and i think what's gone wrong in a course in our culture is is that importance on the individual has sort of uh, which has profoundly christian roots has now turned into the very strange flower of expressive individualism um to borrow a, a phrase from um Truman. my brain's gone th sorry Truman. thank you <laughs> yes exactly well i was thinking of also um 
the rise and triumph of the modern self. Yes, Carl, Carl Truman. Um, <laughs> You're also that, thinking of Carl Truman. Yeah. I was just thinking. I was just saying. I, the day was slow. My brain's. My brain's. It's the, cabin, it's, the sna- it's the cold snap. It's the cold snap in the cabin. Well, now there's no. It's more the radiator between my to my knees because actually my oh. brain works quicker in the cold. It's like superconductivity. Oh. Do you know what um, you mean? If only it was a sauna, it would. All, it would be if fine. only it was a sauna, it would be amazing. So anyway, that point. The point being is that all of those things that are sloshing around and causing general confusion mm. are actually profoundly. Christian is the is the first thing. The other thing that strikes me actually is something that, that an Australian friend of mine said some some years ago that around the time one of the previous uh, censuses, I think censuses is the plural. I kind of feel like, <laughs> plural should be, it should be sensei, but that's the, that's the name of a but that's a Buddhist um, that's a Buddhist master as a sensei. I I think that a Buddhist isn't friend it, in, in karate isn't it like sensei actually isn't it sensei? I think sensei, it's karate sensei. sensei. I thought it was grasshopper, but that's something else entirely. And um, anyway, back to my Australian friend. When the last census sort of came out in 2000, well, I thought it was the way, but it was the 2001 census that had the Christian numbers up into the 70s. Yeah. And back then, of course, the you know, a lot of the secular press didn't say much about religion, but it was all the Christians getting, you know, banging on about, oh, well, you know, 70% of people have ticked the Christian box, but they're not really Christian. Yeah. And my friend Peter, who's, who's Aussie, I remember him saying in a lecture, he said, um, you know, he said, it baffles me, this country, he said, because we have 75% of people in this country who, when they have the freedom of choice, just them and their census form, they could write anything they want, they could tick anything they want, they've mm. chosen to identify the Christian story. And yes, mm. of course, we could say, well, well, how much they really understand it. He said, that's not the point, though, is it? The point is, that's the story they identify with. Why in the church are we not then asking ourselves, okay, this is brilliant. How do we connect with those people? How do we reach out to those people who have ticks that they're part of our tribe and go, okay, you probably don't fully understand what that means, but let us, let us tell you. Instead, he says, Christians tend to sort of circle the wagons and just grumble. Um, and now, of course, we're going the other way. Oh, there's not enough of them ticked it. Well, before we were complaining that too many of them had ticked it. And so I think we have this very strange, even in the church, understanding of what is going on in people's, people's heads. And yeah. partly, perhaps, no wonder that our secular friends are confused because the church is, certainly the Anglican church, I think has sadly done a terrible job of actually telling the story of the gospel such that people don't know what it means anymore. Yeah, I think, no, I think you're right. If I was, Thank you. If, if, <laughs> and that's all we have time for in front of the gaps. Andy Bannister. Um, I can report, ladies and gentlemen, that 100% of my, <laughs> of my podcast co-hosts think that I'm right. On, I, on I'm this day, on this day, on this bombshell, yes. So, um, yeah, the, the, let's carry on a little bit longer, though. But uh, um, so, <laughs> just in case Andy Bannister becomes wrong at some point, who knows? But um, it's very possible. And, and my, the other side to that coin, right? The other side to the um, the coin of your friend uh, Peter. Who's it? Peter who? Peter Adele. Peter Adele. Yeah. So, Peter Adele. Really, really interesting point. I think that's a good. It's nice to have a perspective from you know down under, kind of subverting us <laughs> subverting the way we we um uh, see things because i think it's true that actually if we didn't think of it as a positive we didn't think of it as like there must be some mileage there must be some evangelistic fruit here and i think it's helpful as you say mentioned people like glenn scrive and others who are starting to think let's build on this connection i've said previously when we've talked about this on a previous episode on um around atheism i think we also need to be aware that we don't uh, so buy into that fabric knitting narrative that we lose the essence of what Christianity actually is. The Christianity mm-hmm. of faith, which built those buildings and, and yes. created those laws and the, and the fabric of society and those beautiful hymns. So this guy, I think his name is Tom Harwood, who was talking about, couldn't we have had a culturally Christian box? I'd have ticked that. And what he actually said was, you don't have to believe in a God to quite like Christmas, Easter, hymns, and all the cultural infrastructure that goes along with it. So that's kind of like, we don't want to be settling for that. We don't want to be settling for, well, at least he's kind of halfway there. He's not even halfway there. He might even be worse. He might be in the lukewarm category that God would spit out of his mouth than the person who's like, I hate God and I don't want anything to do with him. Then you might then you might want to have a conversation with that person. So the no religion people, it's also just as much of a mission field where you can say, oh, interesting. You've actually deliberately ticked no religion. How's like meaning working for you? How's how's that working? Like How does, your, how does like transcendence You've just gotten rid of transcendence entirely, or you think that religion's all terrible. There's a lot of missional possibility in the no religion rise as well. But I think you're right, because people are willing to tick a box, there's at least some kind of it's almost like if you're 
you know, you're climbing a mountain, and you've got you've got somewhere to put your feet down, haven't you? You've got somewhere to kind of grip onto. You know, you're a climber, aren't you? Yeah. And, uh, you're a social climber as well, clearly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but if you only, need a only. hold. And I think that gives you a fold in, in terms of like having a conversation. If someone's willing to christen their, their child or if they're willing to go to a Christian wedding or if they're willing to have prayers or they're happy the fact that Christianity is, is significant or has been significant in the nation, that clearly gives you some kind of way in. But we've got to have that kind of Kierkegaardian yeah. side. It's also worrying I think about so. state religion. Yeah. Well, the other thing I think you could, the other thing you can do, actually, I think when you come across people who tick the no religion box, I mean, two, two different responses actually spring uh, to mind here the first of course is the fact that as we go into the 21st century and we forget this when we see stats like this but the 21st century is going to be a much more religious age globally yes there may be here in the here in the uk and and the us to a lesser extent you know you may see the rise of of secularism um but actually globally that's not the case globally the world is becoming a more religious place. Organizations like the Pew Forum who track these things globally have picked this up. And you look at the number of, say, Muslims, you know, coming into the UK through through migration and so forth. It was also the Pew data picked up that um, we're going to have 13 million Muslims here mm. in the UK by, yeah. by 2050. So we're becoming a more religious age, which means a lot of the big conflicts of our age are going to become religious ones. Look at what's mm. gone on the World Cup with all the discussion around, around values. Yeah there right world cup out there in qatar for those who don't follow football i don't blame you i don't follow football it's 22 men kicking a leather balloon up and down a bit of grass don't Um, follow andy Andy. exactly my point being is though look at that look at the value clash there which was yeah which was muted but still that that gonna get more and more of that and then somebody once said talk about no religion going given that the future is likely to be increasingly religious uh, in terms of what defines societies, you know, just as the old saying goes, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You don't come to a, a, a you don't come to a war of religions without a religion. Um, <laughs> in other words, to go, you are going to have to believe something. Um, yeah. We are heading into a future where I don't think not believing in a thing is going to work out that well for that long. It's a momentary blip civilizationally. So I think there's a naivety there. But the other piece I would say sometimes is interesting is when. Um, when someone says I've ticked no religion box or, or even if they say I'm an atheist and I, and I actually, if you want to see if, if people listening want to see the expanded version of the idea I'm just about to share, you can go and shameless plug, go and buy my book, the atheist didn't exist and read the second chapter is that actually when someone says I've no religion, you could look at them and go, I don't believe you. Um, that's always fun because they go, no, I did really. No, I don't believe you know religion, but I am. I oh, know I really don't believe you. And then they say, well, what do you mean? I say, I guarantee I have 60 seconds. I can find some religious beliefs yeah. in there. Okay, right. Let's start the clock. Do you believe that someone who is biologically male, uh, born biologically male, if they announce that they feel they're female, uh, is, a, is at that point a woman? They say, well, I, I think I do believe that. Well, that's a religious belief. You believe they have some kind of internal soul that is gendered differently to that. That's a, that's a religious um, belief. Do you believe that the world is going to end in some kind of environmental apocalypse within the next 10 years as the more extreme end of the environmental movement? Oh, you do. That's a religious belief because the science doesn't, doesn't support it. Do you believe that human life has value and dignity and is precious? Oh, you do. I'm glad to hear that. That is, I'm afraid, a religious view because people get tricked by the word religion Aaron they think it means you believe in God but as you and I know there are godless religions many forms of Buddhism Shintoism and other ideas and in fact I think one of my favorite definition of religion was by the uh, the famous sociologist Emil Durkheim who said religion is a is a is, is fundamentally a belief in sacred things there if you have something that is sacred to you some value that transcends you some value that is bigger than you something that is just beyond atoms and particles knocking about then what you have as a what you have as a religion mm. um and so human beings are profoundly religious and we've talked elsewhere on this show haven't we that when people stop believing in god the traditional gods it's interesting you've seen the rise of things like transgenderism mm. and extreme forms of environmentalism and other things because all that human beings do is attach that that worshiping and believing component to other things mm. And we, I see this on the, human, the Humanist website beautifully illustrates this Humanist UK. They're passionate about human rights. They're passionate yeah. about truth. They're passionate about yeah. justice. And actually, a lot of that, I go, bring it on. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. They mm-hmm. care about those things. Mm-hmm. But those are profoundly religious ideas. Um, so, yeah, when someone says no religion, 
just with a twinkle in your eye, say, I don't believe you. And refer them to chapter two. Of, uh, <laughs> chapter two, yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting points there. I mean, there's so many things to pick up on. So firstly, just on, on the, um, uh, I'll, I'll get us onto nations at some point, but let me just respond to a few of the things you said there. Because um, the resi- I think there is clearly a, a, a regression to paganism in our time, which is a religious view, isn't there? Like there's a sense of like us, because we've given up on kind of transcendence in some way, we just have really collapsed that into the materials. We're materialist religious types, really. It's materialist religion, which is sort of what paganism is, the sense of the eternal material here on earth, uh, mother nature. And so some of the kind of environmental concerns come out of that. They don't have to, of course. There's loads of really good reasons for caring about environmental concerns. Um, but a lot of it is is animated by that because it's all that they it's all that they've got um, the, the no religion crowd, which is again increasingly going to be a majority. I expect in the next ten years it'll be between Islam and no religion for the now maybe not Islam quite then, but you never know because I mean Islam grew by what was it? Let me just see. I think it was yeah, by three point three point nine million. Forty yeah three forty three percent rise in ten yeah. years of Muslims in the in Britain. Now that is massive. So in you know another and it doesn't mean that oh it'll just be another forty three percent it's likely to be a, a you know possibly a greater percentage yes. increase um, so that's really intriguing um, and also it also kind of means when you see the no religion rise up um, it the Islam one is less worrying because it's inevitable because you feel like well they're going to have lots of families and the Christians are going to say oh no, we're not we're not going to have large families because we want to be good for the environment Muslims don't think about that they think about cultural um, influence very very significantly and they do that through families um and christians should be doing that as well but it doesn't have to work in exactly the same way as islam now it's so islam's growth isn't by conversion they're not going around converting people to islam they're, that's from immigration and through childbearing um whereas no religion rise is far more clearly a, a kind of conversion to a certain worldview even if that worldview is kind of apathy to religion, apathy to the transcendence, or just being entertained to death, or mused to death, in Neil Postman's um, yes. famous phrase of his book. So they've been conditioned culturally to think it's okay to say there's no meaning in life, and I'm just going to go ahead without religion. I'm not religious. You might be religious. Isn't that nice for you? That's just not a normal position to hold, civilizationally speaking, and it will, yes. not, will not will not uphold civilization uh, longer term. So exactly as you say, it will be a blip, but a kind of a costly blip where lots of bad stuff will happen in the meantime. but And also it will enable other religions like Islam, um, which will have all sorts of other problems, to rise up and in its place and, and actually to sort of take take a strong position. So I do think either way, there's going to be a very interesting time um, ahead of us. But we are definitely resorting, I think, over, broadly speaking, to paganism. And you even see this in, in little things like um, things that I actually think are good. You know, like wild, we talked earlier about wilding, like if you're wild at a garden or something. Oh. Yes. It's nice, it's good, because you're letting it go back to what it was. You don't want to be over-mechanistic. You don't want to kind of bring an over-industrialized approach to nature. So there can, absolutely, there's a good way of glorifying God in nature by not being overly um, yeah, restrictive of what you, what you could do and trouncing over what nature would naturally do. But I also started to be dubious when the amount of people who are excited by wilding projects, and, and I'm seeing it crop up in cities over the country where mm-hmm. they're just like not bothered to do stuff and it's kind of just like oh yeah we just made this like a wilding thing it's like so you mean like you just didn't do anything <laughs> yeah. right. so, like, i was there i was in brighton my hometown in like the middle of august i'm just thinking this should be like peak time for tourists to come in looking beautiful it looked like an absolute mess but it was probably looked nice for about a month in like may when there were some wildflowers and they just left it and I kind of think, isn't it, isn't it interesting that that's now what you think is good? Because you can then claim politically, isn't this wonderful? Because we, you're um, you know, you're wilding, you're wilding your beard, aren't you? <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm doing right now. I don't want to. I'm deliberately not cultivating. I'm letting Mother Nature have her way with my beard. That's right. Exactly. So, so there's things there which are are problematic. We should be aware of this. Isn't like we didn't come from nowhere. The West came from paganism. We converted them to paganism, and we created civilization. Christianity did. Um, in in this you know in this part of the world and so now we're sort of saying you've got these people going wouldn't it be nice i like all the civilization aspects i like all the you know as you say and the, mm. the freedom of the individual i like you know the kind of nice cathedrals i like laws laws are a great idea aren't they not that we invented laws but we certainly codified a significant amount of laws um but so can we still have that can we still have christmas can yeah. we still have these things well no you, you actually can't you're not allowed to just you're not not allowed to but you're not it's not sustainable long term 
You won't have Christmas no. one day as a comforting I, I, English thing. Yeah. And the wild, actually, I really, as you were speaking there about that, Aaron, I really actually like the wilding metaphor, actually, because I go, quite a few sort of um, nature writers I respect have actually picked up on and critiqued the wilding idea because there's, a, there's actually a real naivety built into it. And the idea is that, you know, if you, um, if you just leave a, a field, mm-hmm. nature will come in and do something wonderful there without human beings. So I heard, you know, one, one, uh, one, one nature writer who I admire, sort of commenting about the fact on, on the farm where he, where he lives, small farm he's got, he said, if I didn't go out and do something with that field, in two years' time, it'll be nothing more than brambles and nothing else will survive because, mm. because you know, other stuff then can't grow. It'll get mm. choked out by brambles mm. or if you've got trees, ivy comes in and will take them over and take them down. Mm. So people forget that when we look across mm. even these landscapes that look wild, you know, I love the Lake District and mm. I'm walking there. Well, that's not a naturally wild landscape. There's been a hell of a lot of work mm. has gone into managing that. And yeah, we could do that better and there are lessons we can learn and maybe, you know, we can certainly try and do things like use less pesticides and, and perhaps be less, less invasive and so on those things. But you can't just let it go wild. Civilizations are the same. I think we look around, and this is what's gone on here in the West. I think people look around and like they say, like you say, they like Christmas, they like laws, they like human rights, they like the British sense of fair play. In fact, we all think slavery is a bad thing mm-hmm. uh, and so on, and whether men and women are equal and this goes on. And people assume those are natural virtues, mm. but they really aren't. They really, really are. But actually, if you just let the human, if you let human nature run wild and civilization run wild, I think if you look back through history, more often than not, that's defaulted to something quite different. It does around the world today, you know, yeah. back to Qatar, uh, for example, and people are suddenly getting shocked that actually the values there are, are quite different or China or some of those other those other kind of places. And I'm reminded, actually, of something that Leo, I think it was Leo Tolstoy, actually, the Russian writer once, and I'm 90% sure it was Tolstoy, who talked about, he said, you know, the, the, the flower of human rights uh, uh, that has grown from, from, from Christian soil, it's not entirely clear if that plant can survive if you yank it out of the pot mm. or if you try and plant it somewhere else. It, it, it's not, you know, that's a debatable mm. question. And things like you mentioned Christmas is interesting, mm. right? What happens when you, you know, rewild Christmas? Mm. I think what like, you'll see is Christmas will just end up looking more and more and more like Black Friday, yeah. and everything else Consumer. you know it becomes a great consumerist feeding frenzy which is why it's really important for christians incidentally this is another topic we haven't done consumerism yet as a topic we we, we will at some point um i think we're to, to resist on that one because in which case why 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 bother and i think yeah roll forward another 10 20 30 years you know you'll just end up with this sort of morass of just mm. you know little advertising moments in the mm. in the year designed to sell us stuff but any underlying rhythm will have will have gone okay. if we're not if we're not careful. Exactly. That's rewilding. And it's funny that you mentioned the consumerism thing as well, because in a way, the people who like cultural Christianity, and we again, like like we said, like your your pal Lenander saying, we we need to use that as a bridge. And absolutely, we're all for that. We talk about it all the time. I'm just I'm just getting more skeptical of it of late, and realizing that it becomes a product. Like Christianity is just a product to consume, um, because you go along to Evensong in a nice cathedral which is amazing by the way so if you have a chance to go to evensong before it all collapses one day um or they just can't do it anymore because they can't get a choir to kind of do the service for like three people um but it's a beautiful thing um but you when you go to those things you sort of are bringing if you're an evangelical christian you're kind of bringing a lot of faith to that and you're bringing a lot of appreciation which someone from a random non-Christian isn't going to know about or understand. Now, they might appreciate the fact that there's a sense of wonder and the aesthetics of the beauty of a cathedral and the fact the way it kind of makes their their eyes gaze upwards as cathedrals are designed to kind of with a height and light motif to kind of make you think of the light yes. and the grandeur of heaven. So those are beautiful things, but you do need someone to preach the gospel to explain why they're beautiful things. And, and you can't just say, can I have a completely consumerist non-Christian life yeah. sinning my head off? you know and, and, and hands and feet off and going i'll just pop in every now and then i'll pop in on god or what god's shop has to offer me it's just like god's just like got a little a small little kiosk in a mall where you kind of go along every now and then and pick up your kind of you know cultural christian donuts or whatever and then you go back off and and do the real stuff everywhere else around the mall so god just becomes an option so we shouldn't be celebrating and delighted in that even if it, it may transpire that that little kiosk was the kind of foundation of the whole mall in the first place, whatever. Yeah. No, <laughs> and, I agree. So, so we've got to kind of be aware of that as a as, as a significant kind of. That's issue right. Yeah, and I think I was going to say. I mean, certainly, you know, back to my Australian friend. I think 
in Peter's case, Peter wasn't saying anything like that. I think Peter's no. Peter's comment was the church has a task. We've got look yeah. on this as an amazing mission opportunity, but we need to get out there and do the work. Mm. And I think one of the things that breaks my heart about what's gone on in the Anglican Church for the last wee while is they haven't no. they haven't done done the work. I would love to have seen, and I know it's easy to critique, and I want to be careful because the guy's got probably a thousand things on his plate. But I think look, what is the point of the Archbishop of Canterbury? if you're not the one who actually can stand up there and get away with it, because people expect yeah. you to. You're the yeah. Anglican in the frock. You know, people are going to look at you and expect you to say bishopy things, archbishopy right. things. So you should be saying, you know, talking about, you know, use the bridge of saying these things that we value are profoundly Christian. Yeah. But the reason they're profoundly Christian is, I mean, human rights is the one, you know, I've written and spoken about a lot. You know, start from the point that we will appreciate this stuff. Mm. But then so well, have you ever wondered why we appreciate this stuff? Yeah. We appreciate this stuff because it's there on the very first page of the scriptures. Mm. God created in the beginning, male and female, man, you know, image of God. Mm. It's there in Romans mm. 5 verse 8. God demonstrates mm. his love for us in this. Mm. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. What better foundation for human value yeah. could you have? Take that out yeah. and it's nothing. Mm. So it is Christ or nothing. Mm. And in fact, David Bentley Hart, who's a who's an amazing writer, I don't agree with everything that David's written, but some stuff he's written is phenomenal. David wrote that amazing essay, have you ever read it, called Christ or Nothing. Oh. And uh, he starts by saying the problem is we are comfortable nihilists. We are comfortable nihilists. We we don't believe in anything in the West, and we want but we want to have comfort. We want to have peace and, and rights and value and all this other stuff. He said, but you can't have that without Christ. Your choice is Christ or nothing. There is no other game in town. And uh, yeah, uh, no, I was just saying an interesting, slight difference on that phrase. I've heard Doug Wilson speak about called Christ or chaos. So it's yes. not, not so probably similar meaning, isn't it? That similar nothing, ideas, really. It's just chaos. Yeah. But you're going, and we're getting chaos. That's what we're getting right now. I, I heard a line from C.R. Wiley, a really good writer, who said, uh, atheists are building a world that not even atheists want to live in. So they don't even realize the full implications of when you when you chuck God out the window and try and carry on living in this world and having values and rights and caring for each other. It, do, it doesn't actually work because you require, I think, you, as you said earlier, Andy, the kind of you require a kind of religious impulse anyway to get anything done and to, to care and cooperate with others beyond just your own personal survival. And I mean, any any kind of post-apocalyptic film ought to show us what wild human nature will do when it's when it's pushed to its limits. Now, of course, we rest upon a pretty still robust civilizational structure i'm certainly not going to bring in some big harboring of of doom you know tomorrow maybe not tomorrow maybe next week but it, there's there's it would take a while for civilization western civilization to completely implode but it, it certainly could continually co corrode and um and corrupt yeah and then some of those structures that we've inherited just aren't going to function the same way lo longer term so just one quick thing on the before we move yes, on to the um, anglican thing before we go into sort of nation stuff was um you said archbishopy things um, that yes. uh, Justin Welby's. He's so right. People expect Justin Welby to say archbishopy things as the head of the Church of England. Um, actually, sorry, sir, King Charles. Sorry, excuse me. Is the is the, yes, be careful. Oh, I was going to say. Sorry, I beg your pardon, Your Royal Highness, uh, if he's listening. I know he's a child. Charlie's a big listener of the show. Um, it's as the archbishop, he's going to, to get kind of a certain press. But the problem is, is precisely that he does say archbishopy things. That is things that one expects or an archbishop expects that an archbishop ought to say rather than what a yes. Christian leader ought to say. To be saying, yes. Ought to be a Christian leader, but I mean, really they say they become a mouthpiece of either the state or either of the, the socio-political zeitgeist. And that's precisely the problem. So he never says anything. He really, we really kind of... You know, you've now forced in my mind... I've now got this that image of the mouthpiece of Sauron from the end of <laughs> oh, Return yes. of the King, Excellent. who is Sauron's little old spokesperson yes. who comes out and says things. Um, yes, yeah. no, you're, I mean, you're right. When I, when I said archbishopy things, I meant mm. things that traditionally exactly. yeah. you might, but you're, you're right. Mm. On anarchy, can, though, yeah. sorry. No, one time what I was going to say? We can do this Anglican, else. anarchy, go on then. You, you do Anglican, I'll do anarchy. My final Anglican point, and then I'll, I'll leave the Anglicans alone after this one jibe, right? Again, I, you know, I've said before, I'm a member of the Church of England football team. You know, I'm, I'm pro-Anglican in many ways. Um, they recently released a video, literally last week, uh, I think, or well, perhaps even this week, was it? Um, not, uh, a few days ago. It was an, a, a kind of advert for the Church of England going out. I don't know whether it's going to go into cinemas, but it's on YouTube. It's certainly going to get a lot of views. And it's kind of like, you you are invited. This is the motif, and you've seen it. 
And it's got this, the way that they try and sell the Church of England's significance in this generation is they profile a young girl who's kind of grows up in the Church of England. I think she gets confirmed. And you see her kind of going to, in Sunday school, she's running up and down the pews. Then she gets a bit older. She's still kind of in the church. And then she meets her, her husband. Um, and then eventually they get all grow all together. They're still going to the services at Christmas. They just kind of just this kind of time morph. And suddenly yeah. they're there. Oh, then suddenly he's not there anymore. So he's died. And then the community's there to comfort her at the end. And there was a really bizarre, hilarious thing that my friend noticed, by the way, when we were watching this was... Uh, in, they make it a mixed race couple to kind of be nice and diverse. And the guy literally changes race like halfway through. <laughs> so they make an older version. When they morph to the older version, the guy moves some kind of, he moves like more sub-Saharan African, like halfway through. I was like, this feels really racist as if they've just got like, just generally non-white. Like, no one will know the difference. It's oh, no. really bizarre. So anyway, they, um, but the weirdest thing for me was it became the Church of England again is a product. And it's like, it's a community yes project it's a club and there's nothing about god there's nothing to do with the gospel it was like she didn't even it was just she's there as part of this very small group and, and there were massive there's there spaces in the pews everywhere the whole way through so you're kind of just like look the cv maybe hasn't got many people here maybe you know you don't believe this stuff or whatever but it's a great place to come and be and if you lose a relative you know you've got some people there to comfort you now i don't deny those are nice things but is that what the cv should be really standing for hey. The crazy thing, and I led it today without turning us into a marketing brainstorm, but you do have the kind of strokey beard thing going on that I think marketing execs have. They sit there in meetings and, and stroke and stroke their, their, their beards, and uh, and I don't know what the women do, but um, but yeah, I always have you know, strokey beard meetings. One of my friends who worked for market at marketing beard, agency used excellent. to call them strokey beard meetings. Would be that you could actually have done something similar, but you could have made it much more Christ-centric, couldn't you? It occurred to me that to go, you could do a really brilliant advert where you start with all the things the church does including that stuff because if someone is calculated if the church stopped doing the stuff the church does you know socially and there's the glue and the fabric still in many communities it would cost the government billions but then you would end up not going isn't the church wonderful give it a go but the reason we do all of this is because of because of jesus and end with somebody's testimony you know end with the story of you know and to make it make it today's day i mean so, you know use a non-white story use a story of somebody who's come to faith from an islam background or or, or, or something has got an interesting story, but end up on the reason we do these things is because of him. Um, I remember years ago I attended a church in South London where we had a brilliant um, one of the, the one of the young adults was really creative, and so we had a kind of little you know, you know, poster board outside the church, and you know churches often put you know boring stuff up there, but we would do really creative stuff, and we would usually try and take like an advert or a movie kind of thing, and um, and do something Christian around it. And I remember one occasion, we uh, Ford were running an advert where the slogan was, everything we do is driven by you. And we turned it into everything we do is driven by him. <laughs> and on one occasion, I remember talking to a local community uh, police officer who was wandering around and bumped into in the street. And, I, I, and he asked where we were from, my friend and I, and we saw the church around the corner. And he said, oh, you're the church for the posters. And he'd been really struck by wow. some of the, and it started a conversation. But anyway, everything we do, the, the Church of England should be running that message. Everything we do is driven by him. Hmm. Um, because I think that's bringing those two things together. I mean, like, you know, Leslie Newbigin, who we've talked about on this show before, one of my missiological heroes, you know, the way that they did that really effective ministry in, in India was they did both the things. They did the, they did the social action. But, you know, Newbigin said it was absolutely crucial that people knew we were doing the name of Christ. Hmm. And it was absolutely crucial when people came to church on Sunday and I preached the gospel. They knew that the people who were preaching to them were the people who were serving them during the week. Take either of those things out and it's not Christian. Hmm. If we just have words, you know, with the book of James critiques hmm. that. But if we just have trying to be nice to people and nothing else, then we ought to just close down and become the Rotarians. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. And I guess it goes back to the, the problem we've got of um, when we think of Christian influence in society, what's the church's role in that? And how is yes. it different to the nation itself? So kind of what I us to get on to just to go in a kind of final segment before we um, wrap up would be, is it possible to have a Christian nation? Um, what does it mean to be a Christian nation? You know, David Cameron, prime minister, you know, from several years ago, was big on playing that as part of his marketing strategy for the Tories. We are a Christian nation. We're proud of that. And we're going to own that. 
and he had census data to prove it. Now he wouldn't have quite the same power of a census data to prove that, but it's still a significant amount. What is it, 40-odd percent, um, but not over over half. Um, and so what does it mean to call yourself a Christian nation? And does, how does it work with the US-UK divide here? Because this is a, a very different topic when you talk about it across the pond to here. Here we might talk about it in a very calm relaxed way yes we've had parliamentary prayers uh since 1558 you know we've got and it's not a multi-faith element it's explicitly christian you know there are and, and the kind of prayers that are said that are explicitly christian prayers all the time um and there's you know fabrics the fabric of the nation is still kind of christian and we've got a state church but in the u.s it's very different there's a whole movement now which is sort of getting a lot of traction and also people kind of critiquing it you know, on, on Christian nationalism, we would trend as CN, capital CN, on uh, on Twitter and stuff. And there's a, a recent book came out by Stephen Wolf called The Case for Christian Nationalism, which has caused all sorts of controversy by trying to re- rehabilitate this idea and say, America's going to part. It, it, was, it was founded on broadly Christian principles, even if most of the founders mm. were kind of deists. It, had, it was Christian in the colonies before, which led to the kind of Declaration of Independence. So wasn't that a good idea? Wouldn't we like to have it again? And the more woke and secular the country gets, wouldn't you prefer to have what we used to have? And is that possible without descending into descending into kind of a form of yes. racism or kinism or something? So what? Any kind of thoughts on that? What, is, what do we well, do with this whole nation? One thought, yeah. One thought. Let's start. Let me go a bit smaller than a nation for for a second. One thing that that intrigued me: a Christian cabin. Uh, a Christian cabin. Yes. Um, no, I had a friend um, some years ago who, when he was uh, now a pastor in Scotland, but when he was a pastor before that in London, the church he was in opened a school, had a vision to open a, a school in their, in their community. And um, what they did was fascinating. The, the school that they opened, they successfully opened, opened it. It was fee paying, but they designed it to be the fees as absolutely rock bottom as they could, they could make it. They had to pay people, but they wanted to make it as widely accessible for the community as they could. Their vision was that the staff and the and the governing would be 100% Christian and it would be unapologetically Christian uh, in what it did. But they figured out as they as they as they prayed it through and planned it out that they only needed 40% of the kids to be to be Christian um, for it to, to 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 work as a Christian community. And lo and behold, that's what they achieved. It was amazing what they did. But my my friend Paul was saying to me, he said we were staggered by how many people in the community wanted to be part of it. We had atheists bringing their kids so it was it was really it was really funny because people would try and play the we're going to church game and he would say he would, i would say in interviews no no you don't have to pretend to go to church you do need to know we're a christian school you do need to know this is our ethos and our values in fact you do need to sign this document that you're okay with that without having anybody complaining because their kid comes home and says oh they, uh, they talked about jesus in school assembly mm-hmm. but what we will guarantee you is your kid will get a great education we will focus on getting the important stuff, the literacy, the history, the, the critical thinking, the maths, none of the political crap that goes on in the state sector. And he said we were blown away by the fact we had, say, secular people coming. We had Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, people of other faiths wanting to come because there was something deeply attractive about a Christian run, in that case, community school, doing what it should be doing, doing education well. Which means, I think, does that metaphor scale up to the level of a society that if you run if you could structure society along christian lines and run it run it well and inclusively because it doesn't need to be exclusive this is what people i think fail to understand a christian you know if you had a christian nation it wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't be a, a nation that turned around everybody is not a christian emigration i mean that's a ludicrous idea jesus welcomed the stranger and the and the alien um but it would be a society i think where yeah, where exactly? There's a respect for the individual. There's a there's a recognition that there are there are some things in terms of you know family structures and morality and stuff that is just generally good for society. If we believe the gospel is is good, Jesus didn't God didn't randomly go, hey, let's construct marriage to be male and female just because it'll be a laugh. Mm-hmm. It's because there is something deeply about the nature of humanity reflected in that because the way that God wired as a made it. So my simple, I guess my response. Aaron would be, I mean, partly we're thinking theoretically because I don't see any path to that. But I think it's something it could be something to aspire to. And maybe like the school, the question then becomes, how can we as churches and Christians and the places that God has called us to be? Can we reflect some aspect of that? Could our churches, could the structures that we can build be places that our 
non non Christian friends look at mm-hmm. and do go, there's something attractive there. And when they see that, we don't go, oh yeah, it's because we're it's because we're nice. If you see the Church of England advert, we go, it's yeah. because this is founded on Christ, mm-hmm. and this is what this looks like mm-hmm. when it's then built when it's built out. Mm. That's a really interesting analogy on the school. I wonder how that would play out if we just upscaled it from school to nation. Um, yeah, I'd have to have a think about that. Well, immediately what came to my mind was my what the story I shared about my daughter at the CV school when they used to be in school, on, on our home oh, yes. school, where she tried to evangelise in her Christmas cards. Um, yes, that's right. Putting tracts in it and then got I got you know told off by the head teacher for, for spreading literature. I was like, it wasn't, firstly, it was, wasn't me, it was my daughter. Secondly, it was, I mean, it was literally where else could would you expect her to where and when else at a CV school at Christmas time, you know, and she's a Christian choosing to do it in a Christmas card. It's not like this is completely crazy extremist literature, is it? Um, and so it, that was really interesting. That, and that was because of a complaint from humanists at the school who knew what they were signing up to, but still complained and, and won effectively. I said, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to sort of cause trouble. So I'll, you know, whatever. But I, I said, I just think this is a complete contradiction. I made, I made a counter complaint. I mean, not long after that, we left to do homeschooling yes. anyway, as you all should, of course. Um, but anyway, that's, that's for another time. But yeah, in terms of upscaling all of that to nations, the example from Isabel and the school would be is interesting because it's probably, it highlights what the problems would be at governmental level. It's all very fine talking about Christian school or, or humanists being okay with it until you press one of their buttons. And yes. Once you press one of the buttons, then you're going to get flack. And then what do you draw? What do you fall back upon in terms of your principles or what you believe Correct. in society? To draw upon, so well, so if a Muslim, so for example, in Qatar, the whole thing with that is they are well within their rights to say we can. You're in our land, okay? You can like this is what we believe. We don't believe it's okay to uh, for homosexuals to sort of express their affection in public. That's what we believe. We believe it's good for our society for that. Now, Britain doesn't believe that, but you don't get to go and tell them that, and you certainly don't get to do it with a kind of high and mighty. Well, just a very quick aside there. I would cheekily go, the Qataris played an interesting game of poker with us and they won because the game they were playing was, oh, you Westerners say these are your values, but we actually think your values are the, are, are the almighty dollar uh, or the pound. Mm. And, uh, and they were proved right yes. because yes. I wish, I'm, not, I'm obviously not a football fan, but I mean, what would it have said if these are the country's values, much as I may not entirely yeah. share them, but I'd have had a lot more respect for, for, for people if the English football team had gone, well, we're not going to play. We are going to withdraw from the tournament. And yeah. I don't care if they can, whatever, can fine us and yeah. cause seven kinds of hell. But we believe these values so strongly that because I bet your bottom dollar, if the if the uh, if the Qataris have been told you can't have the World Cup unless you change your constitution to allow gay marriage, I'm pretty confident the Qataris are confident enough in their values that have gone. Well, all right then. Sorry, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's interesting that to me it revealed how shallow Western values are. And the question for all of us, actually, secular or Christian, is when our values are challenged, either by a humanist saying, I don't like what you just said, or by somebody going, oh, you believe something? Here's a big pile of cash. Yeah, That's when you know when you really believe it. If you're going to go, I don't care about the cash or I don't care how much you call me nasty names. This is the things that I believe are true. And that's the problem. And that comes back to the archbishop doing archbishopy things mm. that i think one of the roadblocks is that the national church isn't confident no and and, and that's the danger of the values of t- tying yourself to the fabric of the nation means that when the nation changes you have to change with it and that's kind of what the cv has done and, and it, it does that in a way that's even different to other denominations that, are, that, that, that can change a lot more swiftly and quickly or indeed can become retain their values more or quickly um, but in terms of the whole thing with it gets back into, you know, of nations, it gets us back into the whole thing of, of what Christendom even is. We've talked, you know, throughout this episode on the, about the legacy of Christianity in the West, and we've done that many times on this, on this podcast. Um, with, with the whole thing with Christian nations, it, it, there's something in many evangelical sort of um, sens- sensibilities which would immediately go, ooh, we're not allowed to think like that, are we? Um, it's bad and would inevitably be corrupted in the ways that it has been. And that's what obviously all the flack against Christian nationalism in the States is, because you see um, examples of the kind of really kind of aggressive white nationalism. Yes. Like, hey, we agree with that. We, 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 yeah, we're a Christian nation. and we come. So you kind of have to deal with the crazies um, at the same time as trying to argue for something, argue against 
political left, which would always, uh, you know, pretend that there's no values at stake here, but they really are. Um, and so I think Christians probably need to get hold of the fact that uh, Christian nations, as were in the West, were have accomplished a lot of good things precisely because they've been Christian nations. Um, and so the alternative, like going back to your, you know, the um, mm. Bentley Hart, Christ or nothing, or Wilson's Christ or chaos, would do you, do you like the fact that we've got secularism running rampant and, and do you like the fact that we've got Christians now being persecuted in, in currently admittedly mild ways in Western countries, but it will probably ramp up the more people uh, will be kowtowed into that soft totalitarian, I won't say what I really think, way. Would it, would it be better for Christian virtue to inform things? And as you say, Andy, it doesn't have to mean we kind of execute heretics, that kind of thing, which obviously there are some versions of Christian nationalism which would do that um, and, and have done um, historically. So, but but some some would say if a heretic is that bad, then it, then they they they're going to you know, be a problem for the society. So there's all sorts of things to think about, like death penalties or not. How you you think about uh, justice, how you think about lawmaking, how you think about integrating yes. other cultures and other societies um, and other religious beliefs, whilst asserting confidently your own. So there's so many issues. So I'm kind of intrigued, just kind of watching from afar, going, "This is really interesting." to see it playing out and there's everyone kind of this fireworks all around at the moment but it's not well the fireworks that affect us in the same way here no and i think actually it was a there's a couple of things that that, that, that spring to mind one is just as, as, as an aside it reminds me of someone someone shared with me a, a lovely a great meme the other day i'm a, I'm a collector of, of memes maybe i'll put a link to this in the episode somebody shared with me a meme of uh of someone reading a book and the caption says i read old books because I would rather learn from those who built civilization than those who tore it down, which I, <laughs> That's great. Which I, I quite like. But my other observation was that in terms of being secure in what you believe, I think we do, you know, to misquote the old Chinese proverb, we do live in very interesting times because one of the things I find very fascinating, which perhaps loops us back to the census stuff where we began, mm. is when you look at the, the other part of the census that didn't co get connected to the religion story, but it does need to get connected to the religion story, is the is the ethnic breakdown of the UK, and the, that was reported on that there are now at least two cities in the UK that are minority, where the white uh, British community are minorities. Um, I think Birmingham was one, and London yeah. was the other. And uh, you know the growth in people. I think some amazing statistic, like one in one in five people in the in the UK now are born outside it, or something, some statistic like that. But the point being, you look at a lot of those immigrant communities. They tend to be far more religious than the community they're coming into. So you talked about Islam, right? Lots of Muslims have come here, uh, lots of Hindus and, and others from the, uh, you know, uh, Buddhists and so on. Um, and then in terms of Christianity, you look at some of our largest, most thriving churches. A lot of those are black churches. In fact, I remember some months ago as I was in London, under the streets of London there, I met a guy who was doing street evangelism. And he was a, a missionary from, uh, I think it was either Uganda or Nigeria, one of those countries. Yeah. And he'd literally come here, come to the UK to be a missionary. And I just mm. thought that was the most brilliant thing ever, because historically really? we sent missionaries to Africa yeah. and now our African brothers and sisters are going, they need our help. But my point being, this very secular society that's trying to push religion out, at the same time, you know, hundreds and hundreds, like half a million um immigrants who came net migration last year was half a million you look along that it's a much more religious community and i remember when i lived in canada the same thing was reported that you've got this very liberal society but is importing loads and loads of far more traditional people and so i think the story of the uk and religion is going to be fascinating um because we are not importing secular humanists and as you you spotted religious families tend to be larger even christian ones we're not as large as our muslim friends but christians still on average i think do tend to have more kids on the surrounding popular population i did a i was doing a, a teaching session for a homeschool group online last night it was great going around the room at the, 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 the zoom call at the start and like we've got five kids we've got four kids we've got seven kids i was like man i feel on the low end with two um so yeah i I don't think the story is over, which is the other reason, by the way, Christians should not get despairing and depressed because the spirit of God isn't depressed by those statistics. God hasn't stopped being on the move. And what the bigger pieces going on are, we don't know. God's providence, we should know this if we read our scriptures, stands over and above all of these things. And often the, when things are looking the darkest and the most difficult, often that's when God is working through them in really surprising ways. I mean, think of the, Genesis, the Joseph story in the old 
mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. I think the whole salvation story mm-hmm. that God delights in working through the things you least expect. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying we should be complacent, but yeah. we certainly shouldn't be sitting there going, oh, we're doomed. Mm-hmm. It's all over uh, because that's a travesty of the gospel. Uh, we can be confident because of who we're confident in. Amen. Uh, thanks for that, Andy. That's a really good way to uh, sort of lead us to the conclusion of this episode, really, on, the, on that note of hope in the midst of uh, apparent bleakness. And we always know that God can be doing more than we um, expect in the moment. So, yeah, if you've uh, found this helpful, please do um, get in contact with us and keep liking, sharing and hopefully supporting the episode. Um, we are part of the gaps and we are hoping to continue this into the new year uh, with a, a kind of a new set of topics. And we hope that in the meantime, that we will be able to keep supplying you with your gap plugging needs of this issues between uh, church and culture so for another episode i have been aaron edwards this has been andy bannister and we have been part of the gaps farewell